Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Amanda Hall. How are you, Amanda? Hey, Tyler. I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the show and fitting me into your busy day. I think uh, I think we got introduced through the 51 and I might have been stalking you a little bit because I've heard your story in Alberta. Uh, I've heard your story out and about and really wanted to get you on the show. So let's start right from the top. Summit Nanotech. Let's give the quick little, we're in the elevator. Tell us about Summit Nanotech and we'll take the conversation from here. Mm, okay. So most people use cell phones and laptops and some people even drive electric vehicles. But did you know that 60% more greenhouse gases are emitted to make the battery for an electric vehicle than for the engine for a combustion engine vehicle? And that is not acceptable. So that's kind of where our story begins. Um, we wanted to solve that problem. We wanted to make sure that uh, battery metals were sourced sustainably from the get-go, especially since there's a huge electric mobility revolution coming. And we need to prepare for that by doing resource extraction the right way. Well, a well-stated problem. Thank you for that. That's, that feels like that might not be the first time that you've, you've said that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> no, more part of my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, nice. We're, yeah, we're on whatever floor and I'm like, okay, I'm now going to follow yeah. you out of the elevator because I, I want to learn more. Uh, curious, more. just <laughs> with, that, with, that rapid, with that rapid move towards EVs and obviously the lithium industry, uh, which we're going to touch on in a second with battery manufacturing has been around, but has the rapid demand and all of a sudden this spike and in increase also led to we're not evolving our ethical practice of extraction as fast as the need, which oftentimes creates that, that real offset or that balance of the challenge that you're talking about? Yeah, I think industry's lagging behind the, the need for sustainability in the extraction processes, um, but it's not really their fault. It's just that, you know, they've done things for 30 years and it's always worked and no one has ever said boo, no one's ever complained. And now all of a sudden, uh, the likes of Elon Musk are saying, you need to have sustainable extraction if you want us to buy your metals. So... It's being imposed from a very high level and, well, even a societal level, it's being imposed at that level. So it's, it's coming down the chain all the way to the front end where the resource extraction people are now being hit with this, um, these requirements or these unspoken, well, sorry, spoken but not legislated uh, expectations. And so they're really stuck between a, a rock and a hard place because society wants one thing and, and battery man or, sorry, EV manufacturers want one thing. But regulation hasn't even caught up to say to them, here are the changes you need to make. So we're in, we're in a very transitional um, stage, I think, right now in resource extraction. 
It's so interesting what you talk about, about the, you know, your, your customer being the EV manufacturer, the battery manufacturer, who's looking for a certain, they need to tell a story to there, but then you've got social license where you've got customers or just the general population now who, let's be honest, 20 years ago, pipelines weren't on our radar. You know, oil moving by rail wasn't on our radar. Lithium extraction mm -hmm. didn't even cross our mind when we went to the store. And I appreciate the, how quickly that has caught up from an environmental and a store. And look, we need to tell the right story and there's a demand out there, but how legislation takes so long and so cumbersome. It's a weird kind of vortex of like rapid change, but yet slow to move at the same time. Yeah, totally. And so you're based in Alberta. You have a, your experiences in the in the resource. You're you originally from Toronto, and then you ended up you ended up in yeah. Alberta. You're one of the many of us who came from the east and ended up. In, how long have you yeah. been in Alberta for? Go west, young man. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, goodness, twenty five years almost that I've been in Alberta. I've yeah, been here since, I've been here since two thousand. So you guys are you and I are similar oh, in terms of that that that. Yeah. Exodus, the many waves of exodus from the east and growing up in Quebec, we had many phases of people leaving and then we have a referendum. Anyway, that's another that's another story. <laughs> Did you grow up around the resource sector at all growing up? Because I knew nothing about it before no. I really moved to Western Canada. No, my dad's a dentist and uh, my mom would, sold uh, sold dental software, which is how they got together. <laughs> so um, yeah, totally not like foreign, resource extraction was foreign to me until I moved to, to Calgary 25 years ago and uh, and decided what I wanted to be when I grew up. So <laughs> then I got into the geophysics world. Interesting. So uh, you've seen many different You've seen the old, the good, I hate this, but I feel I'm too young to say remember the good old days. But a lot of people do romanticize about there was a time in Alberta and being here in 95, you were here through riding, like that was a heck of a wave. Moving here in 2000, I didn't know anything about the oil and gas sector and things just started to build and started to build. Yeah. When you look back then, I guess motivations to change, motivations to do things differently. You talk about this, you know, the, the license, social license to operate and the demand, the public, and we've got so much more media and exposure around the resource sector. Were we just not focused on that years ago because we didn't have to or just curious because you've been on the journey and you've been in this province for a while interesting just kind of how you see this the last few cycles and then we'll get into a little bit more lithium and how that could play into our future yeah i've seen a cycle or two so and you know it's funny because i i predict the cycles based on the number of ferraris i see downtown <laughs> so, and when i see it's not a bad predict it's like, not a bad kpi yeah. absolutely well exactly right and then i'm i'm always in my mind, I'm like, well, this is weird. Like, there shouldn't be this many Ferraris in downtown Calgary. Something's going to pop. Something's going to swing the other way. And so then, sure enough, within a couple of years, it swings the other way. And you see the Ferraris go back into the garage. Who knows if they get sold, but they at least go away for a little while. Yeah, yeah um, they're not flaunted about quite as much as they were at one no. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this cycle's different. And I have felt it from the beginning. It's not irregular, you know, Saudi Arabia oil-based swing that we usually feel in the oil patch. It's definitely, it's driven by something different. And in, in this case, it's an energy transformation. It's undeniable. It's, it's happening whether we like it or not. So we have to get on the bus and drive and, and not just let the rest of the world tell us what we need to do. We need to make the decisions ourselves with, with wisdom and creativity. I appreciate it. And was that a catalyst for you to start uh, Summit Nanotech? Because I see three years, you know, May 2018, you, you know, traditional mm -hmm. geophysicists. I'm sorry, I'm saying traditional. You were CNRL. You were at one of the big guys. You were doing the thing. And was it just that not seeing things changing the way you wanted? Or classic entrepreneur, you saw a problem and said, you know what? Gosh darn it, I'm going to go solve that. <laughs> well, I didn't see the problem in lithium mining until I decided I, I wanted to leave the oil and gas um, uh, cycle, <laughs> like the yo. Yeah, uh, I call it the yo-yo. I want it I, off. I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate you. I want to get off this roller coaster next time. I want off the yo-yo. Yeah, and so I I decided to leave the yo-yo. I liked the I liked the renewable energy space, um, and I could see the growth potential in it. And I also looked outside of the Calgary bubble, which is hard to do at times. But I popped my head out quite a number of times throughout the years that I was a geophysicist, just to see what the rest of the world was doing. And and I saw things going on internationally that we weren't even paying attention to in, in Calgary. Like, I remember being at a meeting where we were projecting energy needs into the future. And I raised my hand and said, what about renewables? Like, we're not considering the impact of renewables on the future use of energy. And the whole room just looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> I was like, 
Okay. That, that probably Everybody, wasn't that many years ago either, if you want to. It was not it. that many years yeah. ago, but willful blindness is one of those things that I, <laughs> I deplore. Like, we cannot cover our eyes and pretend that the, that the bad things don't happen. You know, like, we have to pay attention to the good and the bad. Um, and so I saw renewables going up and the need for oil not not going away like the world needs energy the world continues to need energy especially as the population continues to grow and third world countries start to develop more energy is needed everywhere but how you source that energy is changing fundamentally i was on a call recently with a couple of senior leaders and they were talking about like you know, yes the need for energy and, and the need for oil and gas sector is still going to be there but that extra plus plus that gap that that extra you know from a global stage from an energy abundance perspective that's where they said there's all these other opportunities and we really need to as an alberta as alberta as an as, as an alberta really need to look at how we can play that role because we're so good at the one why can't we be better at the other but it, it, it's a nice yeah. thing to say and you hear it on a call it, it you know when a rubber meets the road it does feel like we're dragging our heels mm -hmm. it does yeah and so enter you into the world of, of so you decided to leave and did you have a plan curious i've had a few people on lately they're like you know what no i left because i wasn't happy Ooh. here i didn't necessarily know what was next and i figured it out once i got there was that just you know touching on the entrepreneur journey which is always scary as hell and probably still is and exciting did you know where you were going to land or it's just i needed no. to, you needed to land somewhere else yeah i had no clue that i would even land in <laughs> the looking awesome. space honestly it was it was fascinating i actually i actually quit my job because my daughter was not well she was sick and so i couldn't be at work 40 hours a week 50 hours of work with a sick kid at home hmm. so quit my job and then i was like okay now i have to figure out what's next and I spent a lot of time just thinking and thinking and thinking and sat on the couch with a pencil on a blank piece of paper for a long time. Um, and then when I started exploring the lithium space, which was a seed that was planted years before um, when I was in Tibet and saw a, a monk pull a cell phone out of his robe, which I didn't know there were pockets in monks' robes, but there are. That's a whole, that, that feels like a whole nother, a whole nother conversation. <laughs> 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 but I remember thinking, wow, like, I can't believe there's a cell phone in a monastery at the top of a mountain. Like, where isn't there a cell phone on this planet? And so there's some, there was a seed that was planted at that point that didn't really um, erupt or evolve until after I quit my job and, and said to myself, what do you want to do next, Amanda Hall? Like, let's figure this out. And I'm a single mom, you know, like, I don't have a a husband to rely on. So I just, I just do things uh, for what's best for me and my kids. So, um, yeah. So I jumped on the lithium bandwagon and uh, started being that, beating that drum, but not really understanding the problem I was going to solve until I put pencil to paper and started thinking about it. Um, but I'm a physicist. So like, that's a pretty fundamental science. And from there you can figure a lot of things out. So it's, it's kind of the core science to a lot of sciences. Starting with a good foundation, and what's from yeah. your maybe sharing a little bit with our audience because lithium, I think, is a word we're starting to hear a little bit more around Alberta. But I don't feel a lot of people I talk to they don't know. Even my own journey, I'm like, well, what is our history of of lithium in in this province, and what could be the future? So when you started to dig into it, what is our history around lithium? Is it a is it a sorted past, or is it just something that's always been minimalized because the oil and gas sector has been so predominant here that it never got traction? I'm just trying to gauge like you know what what, what got us to here, and then we'll talk about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in Canada, lithium mining has always been in the hard rock world, like in northern Quebec, which is where you're from. So, is, yep. um, yeah, so we had hard rock mines there, and they didn't they didn't work out because they weren't very economic, and so they ended up closing down. Because the cost um, of extraction starting, was so, so high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, they're starting to revitalize now. Like, Livent just poured a bunch of money into Namaska, which is fascinating. Like, this is going to be a huge hard rock lithium mining um opportunity out of Quebec. Well, back and, to the Ferraris, right? If you follow the money, who's investing where and what kind of tells the future? Because obviously they're planning for, th those are big investments that yield over a long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does take a while. And Northern Manitoba has some really good hard rock lithium. And I say really good uh, because those are economic deposits. The okay. problem with Alberta is that it's in such small quantities, it's always been overlooked. And so, you know, usually when we test salt water coming out of a borehole that's that's producing alongside oil, nobody even checks for lithium content. Like it's that insignificant in, in like in the past. Now people are starting to pay attention and they're starting to look for the more lucrative metals that could be mixed in with the, the oil and the brine. 
that we could extract. And so it's starting to get more attention. Like my first exposure to lithium in Alberta was by listening to a presentation by Liz Lappin from E3 Metals. And I was fascinated because they had mapped the Leduc lithium play and it was huge. Like it was absolutely huge. And I, I looked at that and thought, I didn't even know there was lithium in Alberta. So, um, yeah, that was the first time I'd even heard of it. And, That's and so the interesting. data is yeah. not very, like there isn't a lot of data around lithium, unfortunately, in Alberta. I would say the first time it really got on my radar was watching a presentation that Liz did as well, which turned me on to E3 Metals, and I talked, ended up talking to Chris over there. It's so funny that I'm like, yeah, that's who I hear. I was like, oh, I need to learn in more. So this is a combination of it hasn't been economically viable, to, but we've also, is it blunt to say, we were making so much money off the oil, we didn't worry about any of the extras that were thrown into the mix. We just kind of cast those aside. So is this yeah. a combination of that there's a bigger demand, it's now becoming economically viable, which we'll get into your technology in a second, but also we're looking for ways to get more value out of that borrow, out of that, putting that hole in the ground. Yes, okay. exactly. We're starting to look at, there's this new word everyone uses called circular economy. And it means you don't waste anything. Like, so what comes out of the ground, let's take out everything that's even possible to not, not necessarily make money off of all of that's the driver of all operations. But, you know, is there heat? Is there, are there metals we could extract? Is there gas? Can we convert that ca gas to hydrogen? What else, is, what else is coming out of the hole that we can capitalize on, essentially? So lithium is part of that circular economy kind of question mark that everyone's been asking themselves. And there's lots of industries because of tight margins or because of just high volume. Like this is new to the resource sector, but that circular economy, like how efficient can we be with processing these vegetables? How efficient can we be with doing X? There's lots of industries that I think that I can think about top of my head that have been doing that for years because they kind of had no choice because pennies mattered. Yeah. Where the oil and gas sector is like, well, we're doing so well. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mindset, which not to minimize, but when, you know, nothing like a downturn to sharpen, don't, don't waste a good uh, crisis, as they say, to sharpen your pencil. Yeah, yeah. Plus, like, the oil patch is, like, it balances a bit on a tightrope. Like, it's the, the operating margins are not as big as the world thinks. Like, everyone says oil and gas are, like, these fat hogs, you know, sucking up all this money. Not true. Like, our operating margins in the oil sector are not huge. And so, when you throw in an extra step of extraction or, or some other operation in there, sometimes it can push the whole project into an un, an uneconomic realm that you don't want to go to. So, so just okay. doing what's always been done is the smart thing to do. Yes, from a shareholder perspective, and yeah, no, nobody. From a shareholder perspective, exactly. Yeah, nobody gets fired for doing that. Well, this is what we've done before, and it works, so we're going to do that again. You take the risk. That's when that's that's when people, you know. But now we've created a world where taking the risk is not it's required. So, from your perspective, from a technology, you know, reading a little bit today, you've come also on board with the technology that allows this process to go better, quote unquote, from from a lithium. Yeah. So we talked about the world's going to need more batteries, like you said. How do we do it now in in, in an ethical and sustainable, environmentally friendly way that the that everyone will be on board with the fact that we still all want to have these cell phones in our pockets. You know, as we go to the protests yeah. and we talk about environmental sustainability, we unfortunately still want all of the luxuries in our life. It's an, it's an interesting tightrope we balance there even as, as a populace. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, demand, consumer demand drives most eco economies. So the right. fact that the oil demand isn't going away, like you can't blame the oil producers for that. The society needs to stop using oil-based products if they don't want oil anymore like come on <laughs> so. be the change be the change you want to see in the world right yeah <laughs> no, 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 I, I want everyone else to do the changes i still want all my luxuries right? <laughs> yeah that's and again another so many sub podcasts we're creating here with these little like mm, that's a rabbit hole so talk to me about the technology and how you went from uh, i don't want to know i don't know what i want to be when i grow up but I'm a mom <laughs> and i have responsibilities and that's a priority so while doing that how what else what else can i do how did that evolve because it's been three years which is a yeah. short period of time and an eternity as a startup so I can't even imagine how many things have changed in that period of time yeah yeah so I'm I'm a total nerd I should warn you so I read ridiculous amounts of scientific papers in my spare time like even when I was just at work, just for quote-unquote fun well, I appreciate that <laughs> isn't it weird like on Saturday mornings I'll wake up get a cup of coffee and open a scientific journal and just start devouring it and that was always part of my my weekly routine and so when I, even when I was working in the oil patch, I was reading about this nanotechnology stuff. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm a, and I'm a physicist. And one of the uh, areas I loved most about physics when I was studying it was quantum mechanics or quantum physics. 
And the understanding the world at that atomic scale is it just makes you look at things differently. It's a different lens that you look at the world through. So, so having read a lot about nanotechnology over the years and seeing the new evolutions of what was what it was used for, nanotechnology used to be something everyone feared because it's these tiny little particles that if they get into the air and you breathe them, it can potentially kill you. So people were afraid of nanotechnology, but as as it evolved as a sector or as a discipline, I guess, um, we started to see how uh, nano nanoscale uh, technologies could be um, immobilized or embedded into stable structures where they're not just floating around in the air anymore. Now they're just they're just materials. And so, you know, like when you're printing um, the chip for a computer, say, that's the chip is being printed at the nano scale. Like you're actually moving atoms around as you're creating the circuit boards for computer chip um, manufacturing. So from that to creating other types of materials that you can that are wearable, like wearable materials that track your your body temperature, your your heart rate, your you know like that's all nanoscience too. And so as you look at the evolution of nanoscience and and where it was going. I started to see applications for nanomaterials in the extraction process. And to me, it made sense to leverage that, the, the intelligence behind nanomaterials and how we make them and how we, we kind of dial in the recipe to make it perfect for extracting whatever we want. And so one of the first things I said was, let's make a membrane that is lithium selective, where it recognizes the hydrated atomic radii and the conductivity of a lithium ion and only lets that through and nothing else. And then we can selectively move lithium to one side of the barrier and everything else to the other side of the barrier. And then we don't need chemistry. Like then we don't need chemicals. We don't need temperature, high temperatures. We don't need high pressures. Like it's just a very simple separation process. And Theoretically, theoretically, that's a great idea, but it doesn't work in the field. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting. I'm like, this is a great story with a great end. Because in my mind, I'm just literally picturing a very basic filtration system. Yeah. That's that's, that's incredibly selective. Yeah, that's what I'm like, dumb it down to the most easiest way to understand it. But sorry, so the 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 big asterisk on that on that thought was it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't work in the field. No, and and it's not the fault of the membrane. The membrane's great. The fault is in the uh, electrical um, the electrical balance on one side of the membrane compared to the other. Okay. And so you end up with this like wall of electric charge stopping ions from going through the membrane, even if they're the right size, they won't go through because we've got this, there's this buildup called concentration polarization. And so the membrane polarizes itself naturally and it won't filter anymore. So it's like your filter getting clogged with, with electricity instead of mud or, you know, or solid. Yeah, essentially in the way that two magnets uh, of the same pole will push each other apart almost. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, not, yeah. not to oversimplify, but I'm like, okay, no, I'm that's a good it. one. It's a good way to explain it. So, Can yeah, you apply an external good. charge to that to change the dynamic to mm-hmm. uh, like, you, you can't, you can't push the reset button every 10 seconds. Yeah, I'm sure we you did. How do we pump in some energy in here that changes that and kind of reopens the gate, if you will? Yeah, we tried that. We tried electrical dis- like disruption. We tried um, uh, we tried different types of flow, turbulent flow, just to keep everything mixing and moving. Uh, it wouldn't work though. So, which is fine because you got to fail when you're an entrepreneur before you can <laughs> succeed. And so, by learning what not to do, we then uh, shifted our focus. And and I really credit my tech team for this because they were relentless. Went back to the drawing board and said if this isn't working, what do we need to do first in order to make that work? And so then we started looking at a preconditioning step and that's when we came up with the, the sponge. It's like, a, it's called a sorbent, but it's a, it's a lithium selective sponge. And so it's a material, again, that we produce at the nanoscale that it has the cavity sizes in it that only suck lithium into the sponge. And so by using the sponge first and then a membrane second, now it works. And so we're changing the electrical kind of uh, composition of the brine but as it moves through the sponge and then through the membrane and then through the rest of the system. So by the time it hits the membrane, it's already been kind of decharged, if you will, in terms of the way it created that balance. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. the charge in the brine has changed before it hits the membrane now, and it's much less intense. So it's, it's like an intensity of, of electrical charge that we diminish by using the sponge first. 
So and does that, that does that increase time? Does it change the dynamics, or is it just literally another step as this as this fluid, this brine, is flowing through the pipe or whatever whatever receptacle where this is taking place? Uh, we're hoping it doesn't change much over time. This is something we'll learn in the pilot phase, though, when we're in the field piloting for long longer periods of time. But um, you know, and it, it it's so hard because what you experience or what you see at a prototype level never matches what you see in the field. Like how the do you duplicate where, the real field, real field yeah, conditions? That's right? reality. <laughs> your your environment that you create in a lab, as much as you try to make it um, real based, it's not. It never is. So that's why piloting is so 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 important. And that's the stage my company's at right now. We're just about to pilot. So it's it's scary. Like it's a really scary stage to be in because. You know, all sorts of things could go wrong. Like we're mitigating those risks as as fast as we think of them, we mitigate them. But you know, this is where the metal hits the no, the rubber hits the road. The rubber hits the road. Yeah, pick pick the right. Um, How are companies openness to piloting this? Is there a curiosity? Is there a drive? Is is there is there a want? Or or, or are you selling this like there's no tomorrow? (laughs) I think we have like. 17 letters of intent to pilot like we can we can't do them all like we're trying to choose the best pilot part okay so that, that so there is a success that's a bit of it that's a success problem in my world it's a challenge but you at least got people that are interested and yeah, is this where, yeah. where are they based what what geo, what geography are you talking to out of these 17 where would that be dispersed globally um the bulk of them are south america but we have some usa as well and some some alberta based and some saskatchewan based um, okay, so we've got a couple companies here that are willing to try. What, what do you? Yeah. Think, what's the big draw in South America? Is that just are they more open to it? Is lithium just a different part of their ecosystem down there in terms of resources? Well, it's it's the lowest hanging fruit because it's the best lithium in the world. It's the highest concentrations. It's closest to the surface, um, but it's not in a rock form. It's in a liquid form, so it's easy to access. Um, and production's already in place, so the supply. Uh, they've already got already, it. They've already, already got a, an infrastructure to deal with it. Yeah, infrastructure's there, supply chain's there, off-takers are there, like it's, the whole supply chain is, go. it's going. So all we have to do is hook up to that supply chain and get into it, and then we can continue, we can we can be part of that supply chain. Where there, you're improving an existing infrastructure and making it faster, better, where here, we don't have that necessarily that infrastructure in place. So companies no. that are thinking about it going, okay, great, we've got it, now we've extracted it, now there's no ecosystem around us to be able to distribute it get it to its, where it needs to go to process it. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Is there appetite in Alberta for that? To get going? Yeah, like, to actually turn it into an industry here. Because you're, you're, you're oh, basically yeah. at, the, at, the, at the pump head, right? You're at, you're at the wellhead. I don't know if that's We're the right terminology, head. but you're right there. There's yeah. a whole infrastructure that goes beyond that. <laughs> yeah, there's a ton of appetite here. And, and the government support is excellent. Like, okay. But, you know, money's not being put where the mouths are. <laughs> so, okay. T- t- yeah, tell me so. more, Amanda. I feel that you have an opinion on this. Please tell me more. I have an opinion on this. Yes. Please yeah, share. So, Drag out your well, soapbox. This is the chance. <laughs> <laughs> There's just not enough money to support projects. Like, um, you know, I'm going to South America because I'm spending my investor dollars to pilot my technology. So, and I'm saying my, meaning my whole company, not just me, but uh, I, I, pre- I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I can't spend those investor dollars in Alberta because the lithium is not good enough here. And so I would waste my investor dollars in Alberta. If an oil company wanted to build a project out and have our technology piloted on that project, we would be all in, but we can't pay for it. So, you know, that's, I think that's what's missing for us as a technology provider uh, we don't want to be asset owners. We want to serve the asset owners. Like that's our business model. We're a service provider. Okay. We show up with the technology, we do the extraction, we give the product back to the customer and say, here you go, go sell this to the battery manufacturer. Um, so the asset owner has to pay for the pilot in Alberta because we can't, we, we just wouldn't make any money here at all. So. Well, they own the asset, right? That's the whole, you're extracting this asset that then they can take to market and market it. Okay, that, that I understand. Yeah. And it's when the you say equivalent the gar- of like a midstream upgrader. That's what we equate ourselves to. In the, in the oil and yeah. gas sector, we're like a midstream yeah. upgrader. Okay. And you say the government is, is in, but maybe not putting money in the right place. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know much about this. So I'm going to wait into territory where, you know, SAG-D many, many years ago in the oil sands where the government, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, hey, we need, a, we need another play like that where the government really got in and supported that when it wasn't viable and helped build it out and make it happen. 
again, I know just enough. That was about it right there. That's the end of my, my, my story. But is that something similar we're looking at here where we need the government to go, yeah, we see the long-term benefit of this. We're going to get in and support it until it can get its own legs. Is that similar or am I drawing two not like random? No, like random those, that's a perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. Like this is, yeah. this is a, it's an, it's a sector that could grow legs and grow up, especially as lithium prices are climbing. Like right now we're at about 11,000 uh, tons, sorry, $11,000 per ton U.S., Okay. Um, if we can, if that creeps up to 12,000, 13,000, 14,000, all of a sudden the economics behind the project changes and that, you know, I've done some feasibility analysis with different oil and gas companies and, and the magic number seems to be about $14,000 per ton. So if the price of lithium can surpass that, then projects here would make more sense. Um, but like I told you earlier, like the the, mar- the, ec- the operational margins that the oil and gas are, are walking on the tightrope mm-hmm. are very fascinating because I had a conversation with, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the company, but they do disposal wells in Alberta. And okay. they said, could we extract lithium before we dispose of the brine? And I said, well, we could, but you might not make any money. <laughs> so do you really want to do this? <laughs> and so when we started crunching the numbers, they said, all we want to do is break even. We don't want to have to spend 25 cents a barrel to dispose of the brine. So if you can give us 25 cents a barrel by extracting the lithium, then we're happy. And I thought, okay. Uh, I see. So, okay, that's, it. that's so interesting. We're solving, we're solving a problem with another solution. Now I get it. Yeah, exactly. So it's not about making a profit. It's about taking away the cost, which changes your mindset when you look at project economics completely. But also because, creates value because you've now got this extracted resource that's in demand, even though maybe the price mechanics don't make sense yet. You're you're back to circular. You're doing something better with it than just having to quote unquote dispose of it, which is right. a much better story. Let's be honest. It is, and and that is a lot of the drive in the in the lithium sector is about the ESG story, which is fortunate and unfortunate. Like it's fortunate because we do need the we need the t- the wind at our backs. We need that. Um, but the unfortunate part is that you don't want decisions being made for stupid reasons, like frou-frou reasons. Like, we want a good ESG story, so therefore we're extracting lithium. Like, that's not a good enough reason. There has to be a good, strong economic base behind that decision. Otherwise, it's not going to last because the next government that comes along and changes policy, you know, well, we don't need this story anymore, so bye-bye. And then you're done. <laughs> No, as, a, as a, 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 any type of uh, in, uh, resource extraction as a as a as a public relations uh, scheme is not going to is not sustainable. Is what I'm hearing. No. We can't do it because it's a short term win. It's the right story to tell. Is there any kind of risk? And just thinking about the oil sands and you know the cost of producing oil in Alberta and where we really become susceptible to profitability as that price drops. Is that something similar with lithium that we're like, wow, if it gets up to 14 or 15, it's viable. But geez, then what happens globally when the price starts to fluctuate and now we're back to where we're not? economically viable now, oh, which yeah. feels like we've been dealing with the last couple of years with our higher cost, you know, oil production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's funny because I jumped off the oil and gas yo-yo and now I'm on the lithium yo-yo. <laughs> I heard similar things. That's what I was like, I need to ask because if, if we're chasing a certain number and we hit it, how long will it stay at that number? Or are we on a trajectory for lithium that's going to continue to go up to 18 or $20,000 a ton? Again, I, yeah, I'm it's, waiting it's, way out of my territory here. <laughs> Yeah, what's interesting is that Saudi Saudi Arabia always controlled the oil price because they could flood the market with cheap oil. The same thing happens with lithium in China. So China could flood the lithium space and and drive down the price of lithium and put us in an an uncomfortable position. However, our technology works even at the lowest possible lithium price. Like we have tested and modeled it down to make sure that our project economics are sustainable on an economic front, even at the lowest lithium price. And so we built that into our technology development, um, but not all projects have those strong economics. That's only in a South American operation. If the price went that low in Alberta, we'd be toast. We wouldn't make a dime. Like we'd lose money. <laughs> so based on I'm 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 pushing you way into out, outside of your probably realm of but if you look at the opportunity in Alberta and you look at this the the, the new another yo-yo or another roller coaster or whatever we want to use here, uh, is it because we need to diversify here and because we also have 
I would imagine we have people in this province that would be really good at this. Like this is something we're good at. We extract things out of the earth. Yeah. We do it in a, in a safe, environmentally friendly way. And hopefully along the way, it's, it's economically viable. We get a good price for our, our end product. Even with some of the risk, is it still worth in going, I don't want to say all in, but having lithium as a horse in the race in Alberta as we're looking to diversify our economy? Absolutely. Yeah, like the, the expertise here is killer. And not just in the oil resource side, but in the water treatment side. Like, because we've been dealing with... Oh, because you're kind of blending these two together because it's time. a brine, so you're into the water yeah. side. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. and our, our ability to treat water is, is unparalleled. Well, maybe it's paralleled somewhere in the world, but we do a really good job. And so okay. companies like Saltworks, who have always just served the oil and gas sector, um, desalinating water so that it could be re- reused in SAGDE operations or reused in, in fracking or whatever it is, you know, those companies now are starting to see the potential to, hey, while we're desalinating, why not pull the lithium out separately at, from the other desalination steps and make it part of the process? And yeah, like there's lots of companies stepping up and saying, we've always worked with brines, like why not just add this extra little step? Um, unfortunately, that extra little step is expensive. It's an expensive step. And so the full cycle economics have to be considered before you could before you could move forward with a project. So, so if I've got a ton of lithium sitting that I've done, I, you know, I believed in it, I wanted to do it, I maybe wanted to do a pilot project and I end up with a ton of, of lithium. What do I do with it in Alberta? Where does it go? What happens? Uh, that's a good question. You need an offtake partner. Like you need someone who's going to buy that. Um, there's not a lot in, in North America either. Like you have to ship it to China essentially. So. Oh, wow. Okay, so you got huge yeah. kind of trans- transportation logistics huge. and... How yeah. big is it? And this is, I'm sorry, I'm asking kind of weird questions, but how big is a ton of like, I can picture a ton of dirt or a ton of gravel. Uh, I, I don't like, how big is a ton of lithium from a density perspective? Like, is, can I put this into a rail car or do I need six rail cars to move this thing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the bags I've seen, like, you know, those dirt bags you get when you want to yep. landscape yep. your yard. So one of those dirt bags is about 30 kilograms of lithium, I think. So you would need three of those to make a ton. I'm, I'm kind of just spitballing here, but I do know that a ton of lithium feeds into 100 le- electric vehicles. So that's how you... That's, okay, that's, that, that's a fun way to that. say, okay, what is the, what, let's tie it to something we can somewhat wrap our heads around. Even, yeah, though, yeah. even though EVs are new, we all know, we all have a neighbor who has one because they'll always tell you that they have one. And, uh, it's, and it's, okay, so one to, one to, to 100. And 100. it would have to go to China. So you've got to, again, this access to market yeah. becomes a thing for us again because we've got to get it to a partner exactly. because we're not going to process it, even in North America. So there's, it's not getting processed in the US even to any, any large. No. So Chile, South America, are they sending it to China as well? Yep, they are. Oh, okay, yep. okay. So yep. China, it's, China, it's China can flood people. the market, but they're also the consumer. Oh, that's oh, that's they're, interesting. They okay. hold the key to the biggest part of that whole value chain, which is the upgrading from ninety nine percent pure lithium to ninety nine point nine 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 percent pure lithium, and that's what goes into a cathode that goes into a battery, and no one in North America that I know of can do that. Only China. So that is, that is a space that I think we need to develop in North America. And, and it's what Biden is pouring money into and what I hope the Canadian government pours money into is this ability to keep more of the supply chain at home domestically. Um, it's a, you know, and lithium is a national security metal because it powers our military's weapons. And so it's right. protected by our government, yet we need it from China. So it's kind of, it's, it's like, <clears> that, yeah, that, that, interesting bedfellows that creates, does it not? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. But when you think about it, this isn't a provincial play. This is a national play. Like you talked about Northern Quebec, you talked about Manitoba. So from a, from a federal government perspective, and we won't delve into the East versus West and resources and, you know, who's got oil and who doesn't, this is much more of something that the Canadian government, from your perspective, if we're going to actually make a play on this globally, would have to get behind it, but multiple provinces would benefit. Yes, but uh, Quebec has put multiple millions, maybe even billions of dollars into their lithium sector, like tons and tons of money, but backed by the federal government too. So we need that in Alberta. We need that Mm. influx of cash from, from the province and from the federal government to just, you know, rocket fuel, just get it going and, and, and get the technologies working. And, you know, I'm, it, it's all about, it's funny, we look at our competitors and we cheer for them because we want this to happen and we want to see the inroads in Alberta working. 
So we're cheering for our competitors, knowing that we'll be not far behind them if we can get this going. But in the meantime, just, we're going south. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, we have to leave Calgary to make money to come back to Calgary. <laughs> Which is, well, that's an interesting shift on our podcast because right now you sh- you started off before we pushed the record button that you're in the middle of a raise right now. And you're like on investor calls. And so you're an Alberta-based company. You've got clients and pilots you know, all over North, all over North and South America. How's the, how's it been to raise money for this thing? Is like, are, are people open arms? Like, tell me more. I can't wait to get involved. Or has this been a tough slug? <laughs> well, it's, it's educational um, for the investors. Like I spend a lot of time just educating, 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 teaching, teaching them about the lithium sector so that they can make a wise decision. And you know, it makes sense. If I was going to give you a million bucks, I'd want to know a lot more about where that million <laughs> is going and what your plans are with it. You know, like it's, it's not, it's not chump change. So um, the investment interest is huge. Like I, I have nine leads right now in due diligence, which is kind of awesome. But, you know, I'm one of those entrepreneurs that have learned the hardware, the hard way not to count your chickens till they hatch. And so until they write me a check and it goes into my bank and I see my bank account balance change, I don't believe the money's coming. <laughs> so. You spoke like any experienced salesperson. No, no, the deal's done. Do you do oh. you have the money? Did they sign it? No. Well, it's, but I'm sure, no, it's not done yet. We've all got, I think no. we've all sold our enthusiasm and then realized that wasn't a real deal. <laughs> yeah. When you talk to, when you talk about that education that you're bringing forward, are you noticing a big difference if you're obviously down in South America where they have a bigger infrastructure and this is part of it? I'm assuming the investor groups will be a little more sophisticated sophisticated. Like, is there a scale or no? Again, I'm not uh, just, uh, of course, getting back to how are the investor groups in Western Canada approaching this when you talk to them is really where I'm going with this question. Well, and the the answer is the U.S. is the hottest market right now for lithium investing. The South Americans, um, they're hesitant because they see the old process working just fine. So they're like, why do we need new technology? And if it ain't broke, well, don't fix it. And then I'm like, well, you know, in the future, you won't be able to use water. You won't be able to build these evaporation ponds. And But today, the regulations aren't hard, strong enough. They're recommendations by the government, but they're not imposed. And so the, com- the local communities around these mines are stopping companies from being able to build evaporation ponds or use fresh water. And the they're holding up operations in court. All this is happening in South America, but the government hasn't stepped in and, and made the regulation something that's imposed. So investors are waiting to see that unfold in South America. In the meantime, the lithium sector in the U.S. is exploding. There's geothermal lithium, there's hard rock lithium, there's brines, there's clay, like Elon Musk bought 10,000 acres of clay, and there's lithium in that clay, and we can get it out. So it's just like... Between that and, and the Alberta lithium opportunity, we are ripe for investment into this space, but it's all coming from the private sector. It's, there's not a lot of support from, um, from governments, although Biden just announced a $2 trillion infrastructure um, budget, which involves a lot of EV type stuff and, and resource extraction, battery metal extraction uh, operations as well in the U.S. It's amazing that the the way the needle can move just with a different group in power. Oh like that's goodness. you know I've yeah. heard, it's it's actually not to, again another episode in itself, but yeah. amazing just like two different philosophies, and you know how one can lead and drive a whole industry you know for the next four years hopefully longer you know depending on how that works out. But it's so powerful when you talk about yeah. the, just the the move of sentiment and a different set of beliefs at the table directing right. those those funds. Exactly. Interesting. So, uh, w- where are you in, in your journey in terms of the raise? Are you kind of in the home stretch, and or may, you know, it's never done until no, it's done? To, to your earlier comment, <laughs> I wish we were. We just opened the round in March, so we're just er- we're early stages of of raising investment capital. Um, we're targeting VC firms. So, okay. uh, if you're an individual investor, I'm sorry, you can't invest in us. <laughs> not, yet, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So many beautiful emails from just local people or people across Canada saying. We love what you're doing. We want to invest. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. We're not public. So we're private. So until we go public someday, which we may, but it'll be years away, um, we're, only, we're only taking venture capital money right now. And so, okay. yeah. Although, although there's this local group called um, YYC Invest or something like that, Invest YYC, where they okay. syndicate. Yeah, they syndicate all of the local investors who want to invest in clean tech startups or technology startups. And, and then you get a big group of people all investing together. And that could go into a company like mine um, on our cap table 
as a private investment, but it's more of a public syndicate of, of dollars all pulled together, which is super cool because then you get the local support behind you too. That's such an interesting, I love how we're crowdsourcing and I want how, I love how the old models aren't what they used to be. And yeah. you know, the, the banks, and the financial institutions don't have all the control anymore as, as FinTech and DeFi. It's just so interesting. The world we're living in on, oh my on everything's yeah. rushing to fill all these different voids. Pay attention to the blockchain space too. Like blockchain tokens are backed by something. Like there's a gold blockchain token and there is soon going to be a lithium blockchain token. Uh, you know, that's a world that scares my pants off. Like I don't get it, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a dollar. Like a, what is the U.S. What is a, a U.S. dollar based on? Who decides the value of that oh, dollar? Oh yeah, when you when you really want to get into yeah, but that's not real money. Like well, let's define what real money is yeah, for, for exactly. a second. Now that it's not <laughs> backed by anything, gold standard is is an old illusion. I had a gentleman on yesterday, John Trask, who's uh, helping working with SAIT to put together some of their continuing education programs for corporate training around technology. And I asked him, I said, number two, you know, biggest techs that are, you know, buzzy, but now really hitting the road. And he said, machine learning being one, blockchain being number two. He yeah. goes, the need for blockchain projects and the way it's infiltrating into every industry, even at the, even a subtle level, he's like, that is the future. So, you know, get, get up to speed with it. Become literate really quickly. You don't have to be a, a full stack developer in blockchain, but understand how it can affect the processes of your world because it's yeah. going to. I thought it was, it was, it was wise advice. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And it's long overdue. Like in Calgary in particular, I've been hearing the word blockchain for probably 10 years and nobody's really done anything with it, but it's coming now. And it's one of those things where when you see it coming, you can't deny it's going to hit you. So I might be in a position. <laughs> slowly, with, slowly. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> oh yeah. Slowly. And then it smacks you in the face and it's like, Oh, uh, that, <laughs> that happened. Uh, but yeah, blockchain based on lithium resources, is something that we'll have to pay attention to in the future. And, you know, maybe Alberta can play in that space. I don't know. Like, that would be an interesting way to leverage something that's a resource and and help put investment dollars into projects that are that are backed by blockchain tokens. And be able to show that, like we talked about earlier, social license, that people want transparency. They want yeah. to know where the, the constituent parts of everything that's involved in their life comes from. And more and more where blockchain does that, you know, just by its nature, that's the, the transparency and the irrefutability of, of what it creates. Yeah. So you touched on a little bit, just, you know, Alberta and we do have such as, we have so many smart people here that know how to do a lot of the things like we're talking about, especially anything energy related. How's it been for you gaining talent? Have you been able to find the people you need to do the project and are you able to find them here in Western Canada? Yeah, the talent's there for sure. Um, my, my only problem is that I don't have enough money to hire people right now. Like sadly, three of my very, very best friends asked me to hire their kids this summer for summer jobs, all engineers. And I was like, oh God, I would love to, but I can't afford it. So, you know, like I'm trying to keep my budget in check. Um, but we'll need to grow. Like after I raise my series A, I'll probably hire 10 more people and then 10 more people after that, and we're going to continue to grow. We're going to build out our nanomaterial manufacturing arm here in Calgary, and we're going to oh, be working fantastic. with uh, with PCL. Like that's that's the plan so far. The plan for today is to work with a company like PCL. Like there's also mm -hmm. Spectrum right here in Calgary too that can build the modular units for us, um, and then we put the nanomaterials, which is the heart of the technology. It's like a heart transplant. We put it in the device, and then it gets shipped down to South America. So we will build out some um, uh, the job market in Calgary in that sense, like in terms of construction and manufacturing and export the knowledge and export the technology to be used in the, in the, in the big leagues, like down in South America. I appreciate to hear it. Of course, as, as a pro as a pro Calgary advocate, which this platform is, hearing about companies like yourself going, no, no, we're going to manufacture here. We're going to yeah. keep it close. We're going to do it locally. That's that's a huge impact because you're right. It's 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 a little it's a thousand building blocks, right, to get us up to this uh, a little bit more of a diverse ecosystem. Yeah. So curious, I've had a few guests on that talked about. The raising money when there's hardware involved. They're like, oh, if it's a pure like you know technology play, there's just so much easier and so much more appetite because of scalability and not being scared of the manufacturing process and all those costs. For that has been a factor for you because you're this is technology based, but sooner or later there's a piece of hardware, which you just said. Like there's a unit. Like this we have to build something to yeah. do the thing and using this technology <laughs> we've come up with. I do I didn't imagine they were. Uh, has that been a challenge with the investor profile or do you end up just attracting investors that are used to 
investing in something that's got some hard like things you can touch? Yeah, if if I talk to an investor who likes software like SaaS model type things, I walk away because it's like I won't waste okay, your yeah. time, you won't waste mine. You know, we're not interested in each other. This is it's like swiping left. <laughs> we're not going to date. That's okay. We don't even date. need to have a coffee. We're no, good. No coffee <laughs> no, I needed. That. But wait, you, I do swipe right on. Um, there are VC firms out there that that stand by the hardware model. And okay. they are used to longer term return, longer term returns on investment, but they're bigger. Like the returns are bigger. You just have to be more patient to wait for them. Like, like oh, we're not okay. Okay. we're not a teenager in the, in a basement with a with an app. You know, this is this is real infrastructure that we're building and providing to customers, and it has to operate and make money. But over a five year period or a ten year period, it will make a lot of money. So be patient with us while we build this and get it out to the field. Um, but yeah, it takes a very special kind of investor to, to have that patience and that understanding, which is, again, great for Alberta because we're, Alberta investors are used to that model. They're used to seeing big project developments having to un, un, be undergone and, and, and patience behind the, the whole extraction process and the commodity creation. Because I've heard the other the other side of the coin is that a lot of Alberta investors are very challenged with investing in tech. This whole, yeah, we're going to fail hundreds of times and it might work, it might not, but don't worry, there's never anything you can touch or see or feel or, or actually know where your money's going. That that's been a challenge for Alberta because we were so used to the alternative. So yeah. so it feels like there's kind of two camps yeah. when you talk about like you're kind of damned on one side or you're damned on the other side. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when it, even when it comes to marketing or putting a pitch out there, who are you speaking to? Who's your target audience? And for the right target audience, it's the best story ever. But for the wrong target audience, you might as well be speaking a different dialect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Amanda, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your candor and your passion and your just like your honesty of like, hey, here's where we're at. Here's the challenges. You know, I, I'm so optimistic about the road forward for Alberta and understanding it's not what, which horse is going to take us out. It's uh, out of this situation. Like, it's how many different horses and what roles oh, yeah. are going to play together. Yeah. But these yeah. are such big plays. Like, you know, lithium, it's an easy thing to talk about. It gets floated around, but not to be taken lightly, there's a significant investment and in, in, like, we've got to go all in or it'll just be another one of those ideas that just keeps, like, never really gets momentum going and it just always gets talked about on podcasts like this. Yes. Yeah. Testing the waters isn't going to do it. We have to just dive in. And I think that's that's always been my mandate in life. Just dive in head first and then figure it out later. Um, but yeah, like uh, it's funny because a lot of oil and gas companies that I talk to, I we talk about the lithium opportunity, and then I say, "Can you send us a sample?" And the sample never shows up. So you know what? Do it. Just do it. Just take the sample, send it to us. We'll do a case study, give you results. You know, like you've got to put you got to put action behind behind intelligence. Like it has to go. They have to go together. Intelligence without action. I think I think Freud said, or not Freud, but. Einstein said something about intelligence without action is a waste of a waste of humans' brains. You know. Yeah, meeting, meetings about about having more meetings doesn't get you anywhere. We're yeah. we're far beyond that in Alberta. We need meetings about doing real things, and then the sample needs to show up. I think that's a great metaphor for like, go get the friggin' sample and send it to us. Like, help me help you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it seems so obvious. And what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, uh, reach out, learn more? This has been an actual pleasure to talk to you. But um, if there, you know, and if there happens to be any VC firms listening, and they're like, hey, why why are not we involved? What's the best way for them to get in contact? Uh, just through our website, summitnanotech.ca, and then there's an info at Summit Nanotech um, email address that goes straight into my inbox. So I get, I'm the filter. Straight, straight to the source, straight to the source. No, no filtering, yeah. no filtering required. Amanda, an absolute pleasure chatting with you and kudos for just getting out there and seeing an opportunity and making it happen. Like it just, this feels like such an Alberta conversation of like, yep, we just decided to make it happen and here we are and it's not easy, but we're doing it. So kudos to you for the change you're creating and thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciated the chat. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for, thanks for helping me out with this story. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.